The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Looking forward to what the Lord has for us this morning in Colossians chapter 1. The message is simply entitled God's Expectations. God's Expectations. The book of Colossians is a small letter, has less than 2,000 words from the Apostle Paul. And it declares to you and I, as you read through this small letter, the preeminence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word preeminence means superiority and excellence, priority of place. And so this morning, as we start, I pray you've given Jesus Christ the preeminence in all areas of your life. As you read through the book of Colossians, it emphasizes our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the head of the body. So he has the right to tell you and I what to do, where to go, how to speak, how to live. The theme throughout the book is Jesus Christ. He's mentioned 26 times in this small letter. I think the book of Colossians is very applicable to you and I for the day we live in. Uh, the Apostle John wrote seven letters to seven churches. Paul wrote, seven, wrote to seven churches. John's first church he wrote to was Ephesus. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. John's seventh church was the church of Laodicea. And the word Laodicea occurs five times in the book of Colossians. They were about 11 miles apart from each other. There's a warning given to us in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. And in that warning that Paul gives the church at Colossae, listen, those things are still prevalent in our churches today. There's still a, a warning for you and I today. It's interesting that Colossians nearly matches Ephesians and differs only in the fact that it's primarily applicable to the church of the end time. The body mystery found in the book of Ephesians is past truth for the body of Christ, but the material in Colossians is present truth for you and I, for the body of Christ. The greatest danger between now and the rapture, I believe, is the arise, and we've seen it, you've experienced it more than likely, of Bible-rejecting conservatives and fundamentalists who love philosophy, who love tradition, versus the Roman Catholic Church who encourages salvation by works and homage to angels and saints and, and so forth, and those who teach baptismal regeneration. Uh, all prevalent issues and concerns in the church today. God's expectations. Expectations. You know, they say, I, don't, I didn't do all the research from what I've read and when I do marriage uh, premarital counseling, say one of the top reasons given for divorce today is unmet or unfulfilled expectations. And you have to ask, were the expectations before going into marriage, were they clearly articulated? Were they voiced? Why weren't they discussed? Why weren't they presented? And so in the message this morning, God's expectations, let me ask you a question. Did God send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood on Calvary's tree for your sins and mine, who died, was buried, and arose the third day, that you and I might have the opportunity to receive the gift of eternal life, that we might be saved and have everlasting life? Did God do that for you and I and then leave us with no clear expectation of how to live or what to do after we were saved. No clear expectation of what his will 
his desire is for you and I. Now I want you to hold that thought and let's read some scripture this morning. Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one, we'll begin in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints. Now saints are those, are, those are saved individuals. So this morning is the gathering of the saints. I have a pastor friend from Orlando. Uh, he always referred to me as St. Phillips. Uh, everybody in his church was saint because uh, we're saved. Amen. So the gathering of the saints here this morning. To the saints and faithful. Faithful is dedicated. That should be said of all of us this morning. That we are dedicated to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To the saints and faithful, brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the order there, grace first. It's always going to be grace first. Peace follows grace. It's the correct order. Verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. Also... Uh, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now notice with me verses 3 through 8, one sentence. That's a long sentence right there. There's three things I want to highlight real quick. They're not, it's not the message, but there's three things in those uh, verses in that long sentence that God puts together and we should not separate. We shouldn't put a period where God hasn't put a period. Notice as Paul begins in verse 3, we give thanks. And if he gives thanks to God, God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Verse 4, notice we give thanks. Notice there's your faith in Christ Jesus. There's your salvation, your faith. Notice next it says the love which ye have to all the saints. There's the fellowship of the brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellowship of the saints. We also see that again in verse 8, who also declared in us your love in the Spirit. So there's your faith, there's your fellowship. But notice in verse 6, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it. There's your testimony in the world. The three to go together. If you're going to be all that you're going to be in Christ, listen, there's your faith in Jesus Christ, there's your testimony in the world, and then there's your fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. They go together. They go together. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us um, met to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Notice verses 9 through 17 is another sentence. How would you like to diagram that? There's a lot contained in verses 9 through 17, so let's get into this. Let's pray, and we'll start looking at what God has for us. Lord, we come again before you this morning. I pray that you bless the preaching of your word, the teaching of your word. I pray we've come in uh, looking to hear from you. I pray, Lord, you'll take these 
scattered thoughts of mine and, and make them applicable to our lives that we can walk out saying it was good to be under the teaching and preaching God's word today. Well, thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You and I live in a world that deals, now listen to me, we live in a world that deals in chaos, deals in confusion on the daily. Listen, distraction's the name of the game. Here a conflict, there a war, kill the cows, 15-minute cities, another virus, taxes to fix the climate, fear-mongering, the ridiculousness is never-ending. I stand with this country, I stand for this cause, I stand with that. And what I want you to do this morning, and what I'd like for you to do every day, is I'd like for you to clear away the chaos, the confusion, and distractions, and, and say, I stand with Jesus Christ. I stand with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That should be our focus each and every day. Say, so why should I do that? Well, the Bible says so. It's the only cause that matters is Christ and what he's done for you and I and what he's done for the world. You can't go wrong standing on the truth of God's word. And as you stand on the truth of God's word and you let the truth of God's word indwell you, then you'll know the truth. And then you won't be confused. And life won't be chaotic and you won't be afraid because the truth sets you free. It gives you clarity of thought, clarity of purpose, clarity of actions as you obey God's word and you're guided by the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 14, just as a highlight. Verse 14 says this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Not only in this passage, but throughout the Bible, we see clearly that God, the creator, stepped into the world. Now listen, God stepped into the world in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, not to fix the world systems, that's later, but to make a payment for your sins on Calvary's tree with his blood. Our God, the creator, came into the world and shed his blood on the cross to redeem you and I. He took you and I out of the darkness and he made us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Look at verses 12 and 13. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us met to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. He says there in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father. Let me add that I'm not only thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for me, I'm not only thankful what God did for me through his Son, Jesus Christ. But I want to allow him, I want to allow him to control my life. And that's kind of what I want to get into this morning concerning God's expectations. I want you this morning to think about you and Jesus Christ. Set everything else aside. How could you and I not trust him with our life? Amen. I mean, did he not die on Calvary's tree for your sins? Has he not given you eternal life? Has he not saved you from your sins? Amen. How come we can trust him to save our soul for eternity? We can trust him that our sins are forgiven. They're as, they're as far as the east is from the west. But yet we struggle to trust him with our life. Oh, I don't mind trusting God and he saved me, but, you know, I'll take over from there. How's that working out for you? I have concerns, deep concerns about people who view God controlling their lives as a problem. You're telling me that you can't trust the Lord to tell you where to go and what to wear and how to spend your money and what not to drink and what kind of vocabulary to use or not use? How can you sit here this morning and know what God has done for you through Jesus Christ 
and then question what he wants to do for you next is going to be hurtful or somehow it's just going to mess up or ruin your life. That's crazy thinking. That's ridiculous thinking. That's fearful thinking. God, the Heavenly Father, has what's best for you and I. And you ought to want to get in on it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The best approach to convince you to live for Jesus Christ is not threatening you with a beating, as maybe some pastors do. (laughs) What happens if the beating doesn't come? Okay. I think the best way to convince you to live for Jesus Christ is just convincing you from Scripture is how deserving he is of your trust and confidence. Listen, if you can't trust someone who did what he did for you and I at Calvary, if you can't trust someone who did that for you to tell you how to live, then I, maybe you don't fully understand what he did for you and what he has for you. Let me just say, you can trust him this morning. You can trust him. In verses 3 through 8, that very long sentence, let me just say, what you read in those verses is not a theory, it's not theology, nor is it a textbook. Those verses are about you, and those verses are about me. Listen, you can read 100 books on George Washington, but when you get done reading all 100 books on George Washington, you still won't be the father of our country. But the verses you read in uh, 3 through 8, they're not theory. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can come and live in you. Jesus Christ can transform you and make you like himself. That's what's being stated as we read these verses. This is not a textbook. The objective here is not to accumulate facts to win an argument. This is Jesus Christ who wants to be Christ in you. It's you and I in Christ. It's you and I with Christ. It's you and I of Christ. You ought to look those phrases up in this small book alone. In Christ, of Christ, with Christ. Great study. It's, it's meant to be transformative. It really is designed to change your life. Look at verse 5. He says, Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Verse 6, And bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it. Notice what the Holy Spirit's having Paul write here. He says, hey, You guys changed immediately. As soon as you were saved, there was change from the day you heard it. What we're reading here is not to enable you to know things you didn't know before. It's to make you become more like Christ, more like your Savior. All right, let's, let's revisit the original question because I've covered a lot of ground since then. Did God send his only begotten son to shed his blood on Calvary? He died, he was buried, he rose again for us that we might believe, be saved, and have everlasting life and then leave you and I with no clear expectations of how to live or what to do after we believe. No clear, no clear expectation of what his will is for you and I. We're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11 because that's all we're going to have time for this morning. And I want to drive home a thought. And here's, here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. I want you to set aside, set aside the rules. Set aside that you're in college. Set aside church. Set aside the Christian school. What I'm talking about this morning is you and your relationship, your walk with Jesus Christ. And now that you're saved, ask yourself, okay, I'm saved. What are God's expectations of me? Does God state in scripture what his expectations are for me? Can I know right now as a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 22-year-old, can I know what God is expecting of me? Number one. And number two, am I living up to those expectations? 
And if you're not, that's between you and God and nobody else. So let's take a look, starting in verse 9. 9, 10, 11. How can this great God come to earth, shed his blood, listen, give you a great salvation, hand you a holy Bible, give you the Holy Spirit who lives within you? Now, look, let's look at verses 9, 10, 11, because I'm going to ask you a question. Look at verse 9. It says, for this cause we also, since the day we heard, of, heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, and to all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Notice three things real quick. Verse 9, that you might be filled. Verse 10, that you might walk worthy. Verse 11, strengthened with all might. And we just read three amazing verses there, but you know what? You and I would probably struggle to find a dozen people whose life matches what we just saw in those three verses. Listen, you're saved this morning, bound for heaven. As a saved individual, listen, we are not to be falling apart. We're not to always be anxious. We're not to be doubtful. We're not to be living in fear. We're not to be clueless about relationships. We're not to be clueless about life. But why do so many people sit in church and claim to be saved and they're so messed up. It's not supposed to be that way. You and I are saved and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Hey, we're to be salt and light. We're to be different. That's the expectation of God for you and I. The Holy Spirit of God told the Apostle Paul to tell every saved person, listen, every saved person at Colossae, that I expect you, I expect you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just the pastor, not just a, a few dedicated men and women, but every saved person in the church, as you look at verses 9, 10, and 11, in the church is expected, it says in verse 9 there, uh, to be filled with the knowledge. Now, knowledge is a clear and certain perception of that which exists, of truth and fact. So every person was expected to be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's the Lord's will. So that means you can know it. It's not, you can know it. In all wisdom, wisdom has to do with the display, listen, the display of, God, of, of the knowledge of God's will. Knowledge is knowing that my motorcycle will go 100 miles an hour. But wisdom tells me when to ride my motorcycle 100 miles an hour, which is never, okay? Let's just clear that up. And spiritual understanding, that's discernment of the knowledge of God's will. What's true and false? What's genuine and what's counterfeit? And yet, look at the decisions of God's people today. The choices saved people make. Look at what they argue for and argue against. Not in front of the pastor, but usually on social media, where the whole world can hear them. Understand this morning that God expects everyone to know how to live the Christian life. What is that? That's a Christ-centered life. That's between you and the Lord. Christ-centered life. Not just a dedicated few. It's your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. I pray you, played, you paid close attention last week to Dr. Pittman's messages, Wednesday night, Thursday, and Friday. Very applicable and along the same lines of what we're talking about this morning. Some great practical messages on your walk with Christ. But he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. 
being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It means to walk appropriately as a, as a Christian, a walk becoming to your faith. It's the outward life that men see. So this is pleasing the Lord with your conduct. I, put, I added some extra thoughts this morning. It says, pleasing the Lord with all your conduct, that you might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing. That means meeting all of his wishes. Have you ever asked yourself that? Am I, Lord, am I meeting your wishes? Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? Or is it just all about me? Like I said, set everything else aside. Lord, am I meeting your wishes today? Lord, is what I, how I'm walking, is it, is it worthy of all your pleasing? Is it pleasing to you? Then it says they're increasing the knowledge of God. So there's a need to increase in the right knowledge. Now you're in college getting a degree, you're getting some knowledge. But beyond that knowledge, the most important knowledge is the knowledge of God. Everything else falls in behind that knowledge. It's amazing that the God of the universe has invited us to get to know him. Listen, the president has never invited me to get to know him, nor the governor. But God's invited you and I to get to know him. He's given us 66 books and the Holy Spirit to guide us so we can gain knowledge of him each and every day. Listen, if hearts were revealed in churches across America this morning, I believe it would reveal two groups to us. The majority, sad to say, of people sitting in churches across America today would want to please their peers, please their family, please fashion designers of today, please the social influencers of today, and on and on the list could go. That's a big, that's the majority, and that's sad. Those who wanted their lives to be pleasing to God would be a very small minority. But understand from Scripture this morning, that's not the expectation of the Holy Spirit. That's not the expectation. Listen, are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Do you know him better today than you did last year? If you were to review the last 12 months, do you know him better today than you did a year ago? Verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. Hey, praise God, we're saved. Praise God, we're in Jesus Christ. Praise God, we're going to be with him for eternity. Yes, sir, I'm in all the way. Bless the Lord. Oh, yet you want me to believe that this God doesn't have, as we see in verse 11, doesn't have enough strength. He doesn't have enough might. He doesn't have enough power for profanity, pride, Pornography, laziness, anxiety, jealousy, unforgiveness, gossip, bitterness. You fill in the blank. You're telling me he doesn't, but I know he does. See, God's expectation is pretty clear here. Uh, it's more fruit. Look at verse 6, if you would. Verse 6. It says, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, look at verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. See, God's expectation is more fruit. Galatians chapter five, you say, what is that? Well, there's love, there's joy, there's peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Listen, is, is that fruit present in your life? 
You say, well, give, cut me some slack. I'm only 18. Nah. Most of you have been in church all your life. You should be mature. You should be ripe with the fruit of the Spirit. God's expectation is more fruit. Listen, more fruit, less excuses. More fruit, less excuses. You need to own your mistakes. If you sin, say, I sin. It's forgiven. Move on. Don't be like Eve who blamed Adam, Adam who blamed the snake. Amen. Don't pass the buck. Less excuses, more fruit. God's expectation is to see more, listen, more evidence of his power in your life and less blaming of somebody else for the lack of that power. If you lack God's power in your life, it's your fault. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why do I lack the power of God in my life? Why am I lacking fruit in my life? Lord, am I meeting your wishes? That's God's expectation. It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. I want you to think about this. The Apostle Paul, we're all familiar with him. We're reading a letter that he wrote. The Apostle Paul would come to a city where no one was a Christian. No Bibles, no churches, no Rejoice Radio, no podcast, no internet access to the Word of God. Nobody in that city was saved. Nobody in that city was a Christian. And Paul would stay there and teach and preach the gospel. Maybe in some places he stayed six months and souls were saved. And he would begin to get them grounded. And he would go on down the road. Nobody in that church had their own personal copy of the New Testament because there wasn't one. Yet Paul writes to Timothy and he writes to Titus. He says, hey, I want you to ordain uh, some elders. And he gives them this list of spiritual qualifications. You know, 18 months later, 20 months later, Paul comes back and he's ordaining elders in these churches, in these cities that we just gave description of. Remember, there's no New Testament scriptures. There's no Christian background to these individuals. There's no biblical foundation before Paul showed up. Yet within 18 to 24 months, there are men in these cities, in these churches, in these cities who are scripturally qualified to be elders. And yet, sad to say, we've got churches today who for decades have not had one man who meets those qualifications. So we don't really need to talk about how rotten the world is. And we don't really need to talk about how rotten our country is. What we may need to discuss is the rot in our churches. The lack of leadership. The lack of the preaching of the word of God. The lack of the teaching of the word of God. This may step on your toes, but you're to recover. Uh, we, we, we live in a day and age where church is all about entertainment. Entertainment. That's not what Jesus Christ died for. He didn't give his life for entertainment church. Amen. Now, maybe he just be a little, just a little, little tiny dude on a planet with seven billion people, but I can tell you what will fix the rot in our churches. And I can tell you what will fix you. It's the preaching and teaching of God's word. When God's people gather together, it's for the preaching and teaching of the word. It's the word that fixes you. It's the word that saves you. It's the word that will make you and help you meet God's expectations. Take away all the nonsense and get to what matters. And you know it's the truth because some of you are squirming right now. You're uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit says, mm. and the word God says, mm. I don't like that. 
You should. I love to come to church. I love to be under preaching. And I love to get my toes stepped on. Because I know I'm a work in progress. And I know I need it. I need it. And on the rare occasion if I'm in service and my toes aren't stepped on, I just thank God for how good he is. At that moment in time, for me. You got a church of 30 people, maybe more. We don't know the exact numbers of these churches that Paul established, Paul wrote to, what was taking place with his ministry team as the word of God was preached and churches were established. But imagine a church of 30 people in a city of 300,000. Listen, with no copy of the New Testament. But listen to me. We're going to start drawing her down so you can, you can breathe easy. With no copy of the New Testament, but they were so serious about their walk with God. They were so serious about their Christianity. They were so serious about their testimony in the world. They were so serious about their walk with God. They could rightfully be put into the office of deacon, elder, or bishop within two years. Do you know why? Here's the key. Do you know why? Because they allowed the Holy Spirit to have his way and his work in their life. And some of you are sitting here this morning, bless the Lord, I'm not going to. I'm not going to become like them. It's not becoming like us. It's becoming like him. Amen? Amen. I, I don't care what you think about me. The only thing I care about is what he thinks about me. I'm going to give an account for myself. I'm not going to stand for the Lord and go, well, you know, they said, who cares what they said? We need to get a backbone for Christ. We need to make a stand for Christ. We need to live up to the expectations God has for us as stated in just these few verses. This is just a small smattering of what you can find concerning God's expectations, but they're pretty clear in these verses. See, they allowed the Holy Spirit to have his way and work in their life and it transformed them because they took it serious. We allow the Holy Spirit to squeeze and elbow his way in every now and then when there's nothing else going on. What we, in essence, we really allow too much of the world in. A mature Christian is not to be, is not supposed to be a novelty. It's God's expectation for every person to be mature, ripe and ready. And he's made full provision for your maturity, your growth in Jesus Christ. What is your excuse this morning for not meeting that expectation? Getting to know God is the highest, holiest, and happiest, really, occupation in the universe. Who or what are you blaming for your lack of maturity? Who or what are you blaming for your lack of knowledge, lack of wisdom, lack of spiritual understanding, lack of fruit, lack of a pleasing walk, lack of strength? Who, what or who are you going to allow to prevent you from God's expectation? Now you know God's expectation. What are you going to do? with that knowledge. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.